Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. We need the Holy Spirit to work in such a way that people are just cut to the heart, that they know that they're sinners. And of course, we live in a world where you you go out and tell somebody they're a sinner and they want to beat you to death. But, you know, the truth is, we can't be saved until we know we need a Savior. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Ezekiel chapters 6 through 11. Now, here's Pastor Brian. If we struggle with the judgment idea that God judges, we do so, I think, because we don't understand the nature of God and the holiness of God, and we don't understand the true nature of evil. If we get a grip on those two things, then we understand that there is a judgment, and it's it's righteous. It's just. So now he goes on in chapter 10. I looked and I saw the likeness of a throne of lapis lazuli. This is my new favorite term, lapis lazuli. (laughs) I was telling Cheryl, and I think I've said this before, I've never even heard this word until I discovered it a couple years ago. And it's a stone. Uh, But the other translations read sapphire. So but I like saying lapis lazuli, so that's what it was. Above the vault, uh, that was over the heads of the cherubim. And so the Lord said to the man clothed in linen, go in among the wheels beneath the cherubim, fill your hands with burning coals from among the cherubim and scatter them over the city. And as I watched, he went in. Now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the temple when the man went in and a cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord rose from above the cherubim and moved to the threshold of the temple. The cloud filled the temple and the court was full of the radiance of the glory of the Lord. The sound of the wings of the cherubim could be heard as far away as the outer court like the voice of God Almighty when he speaks. And when the Lord commanded the man in linen, take fire from among the wheels, from among the cherubim, the man went in and stood beside a wheel. Then one of the cherubim reached out his hand to the fire that was among them. He took up some of it and put it into the hands of the man in linen who took it and went out. Under the wings of the cherubim could be seen what looked like human Hands. I looked and I saw beside the cherubim four wheels, one beside each of the cherubim. The wheels sparkled like topaz. As for their appearance, the four of them looked alike. Each was like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in any one of four directions the cherubim faced. The wheels did not turn about as the cherubim went. The cherubim went in whatever direction the head faced without turning as they went. Their entire bodies, including their backs, their hands, and their wings 
were completely full of eyes as were their four wheels. And I heard the wheels being called the whirling wheels. Each of the cherubim had four faces. One face was that of a cherub. The second, the face of a human being. The third, the face of a lion. And the fourth, the face of an eagle. Then the cherubim rose up. These were the living creatures that I had seen by the Kabar River. When the cherubim moved, the wheels beside them moved. And when the cherubim spread their wings to rise from the ground, the wheels did not leave their side. When the cherubim stood still, they also stood still. And when the cherubim rose, they rose with them because the spirit of the living creatures was in them. Wow. So there we have it. And again, it's the same description. We read this description in those first couple chapters, as I mentioned. But notice one difference here in verse 14, when it's talking about the faces in the early chapters, it says one had the face of an ox, and here it's replaced with one had the face of a cherub. And so the question is, why the difference? And the answer is, no one knows. Maybe a cherub looks like an ox, um, but we don't know. But there's two other places in scripture where we find something similar, but it is different as well. So in Isaiah chapter six and in Revelation chapter four, you have the description of very similar beings, but I think they're different. Now in Isaiah, they're not called cherubim, they're called seraphim. And they have six wings instead of four. In Revelation chapter four, they're not called, they're called living creatures. They have six wings instead of four. And in both Revelation and in Isaiah, and this is the reason I do think that these are different but very similar beings, in Revelation four and in Isaiah six, it seems that their place is right there permanently around the throne and they cry out day and night, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And you have the same, you have the same thing happening in both Isaiah 6 and in Revelation 4. And like I said, they're called seraphim. And the difference is basically the number of wings. So these have four wings, not six wings. But it seems that they also have a bit of a different role. But these are some of the mysteries of scripture that we just are never going to be able to solve. And so we just look at it, we marvel, and we think, okay, well, you know, one day we will know. And who knows, maybe <laughs> they'll end up being the same. But there is a, a difference in the description. So I think that that probably concludes that there are these differences in these beings. And, um, and like we've already commented, you know, these, I mean, when you read the description, you just think, man, that is weird. Especially the eyes everywhere. And, you know, these wheels, but they're alive. And you just think, what in the world is this? And um, who knows? But I'm sure they're, they're, 
utterly amazing. I'm sure they're like, I mean, it's hard to think of a thing full of eyes beautiful as beautiful. In some ways, I don't know why. I mean, eyes are beautiful. Eyes can be very beautiful, but I don't know about like hundreds of them. You know, that sounds a little bizarre, but it's just because we've never seen anything like that. But you think of all of the, the different creatures that God has made and all of these you know, shapes and sizes and brilliant colors and things like that, creatures that we know about here on earth. And you think of the, the magnificence and the glory of them. And, and so I would imagine that these are um, in, in glory, they just excel. And, and remember, we, we pointed out how uh, chapter 28 talks about an anointed cherub that covered. And it says about that one who becomes, who we know as the devil, it says that he was perfect in beauty. So even though it sounds bizarre to us, there is a beauty to these creatures. So verse 18, I think, is where we are here. Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. And while I watched, the cherubim spread their wings and rose from the ground. And as they went, the wheels went with them. They stopped at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house. And the glory of the God of Israel was above them. These were the living creatures I had seen beneath the God of Israel by the Kibar River. And I realized that they were cherubim. Each had four faces and four wings, and under their wings was what looked like human hands. Their faces had the same appearance as those I had seen by the Kabar River. Each one went straight ahead. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the gate of the house of the Lord that faces east. There at the entrance of the gate were 25 men. Now this is, we've seen 25 men already. This appears to be a different group. And I saw among them Jaazaniah, not the same Jaazaniah that we already read about, but this is a different one. Son of Azur and Pelatiah, son of Benaniah, leaders of the people. So these are the leaders that are back there in Jerusalem. And the Lord said to me, son of man, these are the men who are plotting evil and giving wicked advice in this city. So remember, Jeremiah is in the city. He's prophesying and he's got all of these people that are against him. And what is Jeremiah saying? Jeremiah is saying, surrender to Nebuchadnezzar, go into captivity and God will bless you. Resist Nebuchadnezzar and you will be destroyed. So now these are part of the group that is saying, don't listen to Jeremiah. He's lying He's a false prophet. We should get rid of him because God is not telling us to go uh, submit to Nebuchadnezzar. We're not going to Babylon. As a matter of fact, those that went to Babylon, they're shortly going to be coming back. And so that's what they were saying. They say, haven't our houses been recently rebuilt? This city is a pot and we are the meat in it. This city is the pot and we are the meat in it. What they mean by that is, we're completely protected. Just like you take meat, throw it in a pot, a big, you know, a big cast iron kettle, you put a lid on it, it the meat's safe. 
That's what they're saying. They're saying, we're safe. Nothing's going to happen to us. Therefore, prophesy against them. Prophesy, son of man. Then the spirit of the Lord came on me, and he told me to say, this is what the Lord says. This is what you are saying, you leaders in Israel, but I know what is going through your mind. You have killed many people in this city and filled its streets with the dead. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. The bodies you have thrown there are the meat, and this city is the pot. In other words, you're never going to get out of here alive. But I will drive you out of it. Your fear, the sword, and the sword is what I will bring against you, declares the sovereign Lord. I will drive you out of the city and deliver you into the hands of foreigners and inflict punishment on you. You will fall by the sword and I will execute judgment on you at the borders of Israel. And that's what happened with the kings. They fled the city thinking they were going to escape. And Nebuchadnezzar um, caught them right at the borders uh, between Israel and Syria. And so then you will know that I am the Lord. This city will not be a pot for you, nor will you be meat in it. I will execute judgment on you at the borders of Israel, and you will know that I am the Lord, for you have not followed my decree or kept my law, but have conformed to the standards of the nations around you. Now, as I was prophesying, Pelatiah, son of Benaniah, died. So this guy who was causing the trouble, as Ezekiel's prophesying, he says, this, this guy dies. God strikes him down. Then I fell face down and cried out in a loud voice, Alas, sovereign Lord, will you completely destroy the remnant of Israel? So again, you see Ezekiel's heart is for the people. He, he doesn't want to see them judged. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, the people of Jerusalem have said of your fellow exiles and all the other Israelites, they are far away from the Lord. This land was given to us as our possession. Therefore, say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, Although I sent them far away among the nations and scattered them among the countries, yet for a little while I have been a sanctuary for them in the countries to where they have gone. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will gather you from the nations and bring you back from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you back the land of Israel again. So this is the promise to those who have gone into captivity. So the ones in, in the city are saying, they're, they left, they're, they're out of here. We're gonna stay here. God gave us this place. God's saying, no, I'm actually with the, the exiles. And then he says, and they will return to it and remove all its vile images and detestable idols. And I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws they will be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts are devoted to their vile images and detestable idols, I will bring down on their own heads what they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. Now, just a note, in verse 18 um, down through verse 20, you know, he's talking about the future and he's talking about the distant future. This never happened yet. So, 
there was, in a sense, a partial fulfillment when the people came back from Babylon. But none of these things that are described ever really fully were realized. Um, You know, once the people came back under Ezra and Zerubbabel and then uh, during the time of Nehemiah and, you know, there, there were brief, you know, moments of sort of revival and things like that. But there was never a point where the nation is all right with God again. Uh, the post-exilic prophets come onto the scene like Zechariah, Haggai, and Malachi. And they've got all of these indictments against the people who have come back into the land. So the point is that there's a future fulfillment of these promises to the people of Israel. They will be fully realized at some point in the future. But verse 22, then the cherubim with the wheels beside them spread their wings and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. The glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountain east of it. The spirit lifted me up and brought me to the exiles in Babylonia in the vision given by the spirit of God. Then the vision I have seen went up from me and I told the exiles everything the Lord had shown me. So he basically, what we just read through is Ezekiel was transported in a vision by God to Jerusalem to see the departure of the presence of the Lord from Jerusalem. And that presence has never returned except for a brief period of time when the Lord Jesus came and visited that temple. But not since then. And remember that Jesus said to Israel, he said, your house, speaking of the temple, is left to you desolate. And you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, listen to this. This is, this is pretty crazy. What do we see? The glory of the Lord goes out of the city to the mountain on the east. That's the Mount of Olives. Where did Jesus ascend to heaven from? The Mount of Olives. So the glory of the Lord is is departing now from Jerusalem. And the last place that, in a sense, the Lord puts his foot is on the Mount of Olives. And... I mean, in a sense, it's a, it's a picture of the future when the Lord Jesus will, from that very mount, ascend back into heaven, but will also come again in like manner as you have seen him go. And of course, according to Zechariah, this is exactly where his foot is going to land once again on the Mount of Olives. So... You know, many fascinating things that that tie the scripture together. But let's go back to uh, the sixth chapter where I said that we would 
end up as we close tonight. And I I just want to read this to us. And it's a description of, again, it's a description of the future and it's a description of the, of the, the repentance that will eventually be demonstrated by the nation. But it says this, then in the nations where they have, verse nine, then in the nations where they have been carried captive, those who escape will remember me, how I have been grieved by their adulterous hearts, which have turned away from me and by their eyes, which have lusted after their idols. Notice that word grieved. God is grieved. He's, he's saddened by what they've done. But listen to this. They will loathe themselves for the evil they have done and for all their detestable practices. And they will know that I am the Lord. And this is what I want to leave us with. You know, as we pray in these days, I find myself praying this a lot. I find myself praying, Lord, you said, Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. He said, the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And I just, I just have this, this sense like we desperately need the Holy Spirit to work in such a way where people loathe themselves for the evil they have done and for all the detestable practices. Because that is true conviction that leads to true repentance. And, you know, as, as our world just sinks deeper and deeper into the pit, into the mire of sin, when the Holy Spirit begins to work in a person's life, it's no more denying what's true. It's no more scapegoating. It's no more trying to put the blame somewhere else, which is very common. But it's people just, you know, it's like it says in Acts 2, when Peter preached to them, it says, and they were cut to the heart. And they said, Lord, what must we do to be saved? And I think, Lord, this is what we need. We need the Holy Spirit to work in such a way that people are just cut to the heart, that they know that they're sinners. And of course, we live in a world where you you go out and tell somebody they're a sinner and they want to beat you to death. But the Holy Spirit is, is able to do that. And now, let's join Pastor Brian and Cheryl in the studio as they share about this month's resource. So, Brian, we're offering a book from our good friend, Charlie Campbell. Yes, Charlie Campbell is the director of Always Be Ready, which is an apologetics ministry and One website. we recommend a lot. Yeah, we recommend it a lot. And this is a one-minute answer to skeptics. Now, Charlie has done this book, and this is like a revised version answering 50 of the top objections and questions 
kind of current things. You know, things change over time. There are different arguments and things. And what I like about this book is it's it's an updated current addressing a lot of the things that people are kind of throwing out there today as their objections to Christianity. And some of the topics that Charlie covers in this is why doesn't God just appear to us in a public setting and prove he exists? Or the New Testament authors, did they steal details of Jesus' life story from other ancient religions? This is what some skeptics say. Or that the God of the Old Testament commanded the Israelites to commit genocide? Or that the Bible condones slavery? So these are real issues in our society today, and Charlie tells you a biblical answer for these things, and it's great. So great little one-minute answer to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell. That's our offer for this month. Again, this month's resource is a book titled One-Minute Answers to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell. You can order the book One-Minute Answers to Skeptics by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Brian Broderson. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ezekiel. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.